This episode of The Bag Drop, Untold Stories in Golf, is brought to you by New Club Golf Society, a humble community of golfers connected by our love for the game. Follow us on social media with the handle New Club Golf. Welcome back. I'm Matt Considine. In our last season of The Bag Drop, we uncovered the untold stories from the PGA pros, superintendents, architects, and operators who make it possible for us to play the game we all love. To kick off our new season, we turn the mic to our members and ambassadors to show you how the community itself might be the best part of golf. Huge Galtones, welcome to the ba- welcome to the bag drop. Thanks, dude. Thanks for having me. It's uh, it's really cool to have you on. Obviously, during a very strange and uh, uh, uncertain time for all of us. But um, you know, we were just we were just talking about the situation and all of us being sequestered to home. Well, give us a, a rundown. What's the day in the life like right now for Huge Gal Galdones? Regretfully, it's not as exciting as it ought to be. Uh, with, with two kids at home, nine and seven, it's uh, a lot of homeschooling, you know? Uh, my kids are in What's CPS, that? so I'm trying to keep them alive right now. Yeah. Man, I, I, I do feel for, as someone who doesn't have kids, um, but a wife who's getting irritated with all the time spent with me at home, I can't imagine having two young kids right now and being responsible for the schooling and everything else. What's, what's it like? You know, the, the the kids are surprisingly are pretty awesome about it. They're embracing homeschooling, so I'm I have it pretty easy. Um, but you know, everyone wants a break, including myself, and so do the kids. So it's just trying to balance when can they have a break time versus when they have to crunch through all their work. So um, again, I'm pretty. I think I'm pretty patient. And again, no complaints so far. But I do miss schools. I do miss the teachers. <laughs> I, I do hope that they come back soon. But I, I don't think that's going to happen this year. Um, yeah, it, it, I, I keep hearing a lot of this stuff like, uh, you know, through COVID and, and quarantine, we're starting to appreciate other people a lot more than we did before. I think teachers fit right in that category, right? I, I've always appreciated them, first of all, just for the record. <laughs> but yes, <laughs> m- uh, m- more so than um, more now than, than in the past. It's been, well, yeah, we miss them dearly. But, you know, all these telecommuting, Google Hangouts and whatnot, it's kind of like they're in school and they get that interaction. But, you know, being cooped up at home, it's it's just different. It's just yeah. getting used to it. It's just getting used to it. Well, you've made my time at home uh, a little more, uh, I guess, passing the time a little easier because I have been inspired by your Instagram stories on the cooking front. Uh, I'm, I'm a, I haven't been a follower for that long, but since I have been following your Instagram account, uh, COVID Cooking Chronicles have really motivated me to get in the kitchen, get back in the kitchen and and start cooking up some good stuff for the family, you know? And, and uh, I, so I'm curious of, of how your cooking is right now. Um, I'm loving the videos. Do you get, how often do you go to the grocery store right now? What's that experience like? Um, I, I try, so I try and limit the grocery store visits about once a week, so we stockpile. Um, I do actually personally go to the store, um, but I did actually receive a big delivery from a restaurant warehouse, chef's warehouse today. So I just had to like portion out 50 pounds of bread flour and 10 pounds of different steak cuts. So just trying to find and allocate space for all that's been my morning project other than keeping the kids alive. But usually <laughs> about, one, about once a week. And uh, yeah, just, just, just rolling with it. Yeah. Well, it, it, cooking is a great way to spend the time too. I mean, I'm, I'm eating healthier. 
I, me and my wife are spending time together in the kitchen. It's, I, I think for me, it's been reigniting that, that passion I had for it. I, I did a few years ago, really got into the kitchen and now, um, it's just one of those things. I think more people can use this time wisely. Yeah. You know, uh, it's just my excuse or my, my gateway to, um, how can I put it? Staying creative, you know? Not being able to to work currently, I'm just trying to do, be creative in the kitchen, cook some old staples, and just create some new new things that my kids will actually eat too. So it's it's been exciting. Do you have any? Because uh, you you, you strike me as a very organized individual, you know, very creative. Obviously, you're you're an artist when it comes to your food photography, and and we're going to talk about you know you being one of the premier food photographers in the business. Um, but I, this, this is where I struggle with my home cooking is the organization and the prep work. So the grocery shopping, I can't stand. I'm, I'm always lost in there and it takes me three times as long uh, as most people, I think. And, and then just like getting everything lined up, right? Uh, for, give, give us some tips. Like what do, you, what, what do you have to help with that? Well, the fact that I'm only shopping once a week. I have to sort of meal plan and figure out, okay, what am I going to cook on days X, Y, and Z? Um, but also, it's also being malleable and being able to sort of freewheel it and see what you have in the fridge and make something out of nothing, really. So it's, I think it's a mixed bag of being organized, but also being uh, resourceful. Yeah. So, and again, you know, Instagram, it's sort of smoke and mirrors in a way. There are some things that I, I omit because I just don't have it in the, in the pantry. But I, tr I try and, you know, show whatever the viewers that, hey, you can use this instead of this or, or whatnot. But, yeah, Is so, I, family... so it's, it's, it's organization and being resourceful. Those, those are the two things. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of pantry cooking. Just see what's yeah. in there. And gotcha. I also, also want to – I'm kind of a hoarder, so I kind of don't want to burn through all my rations right away either. Because who knows how long this thing is going to last. So it's that, it's that balance. Uh -huh. All right, huge. How much toilet paper do you have right now? Be honest. Actually, what, what, we are we are, are you... we are running low. I'm kind of concerned, but luckily, uh, I'm gonna. This might be an overshare, but we do have two bidets in our household, so we're good. Yeah. Oh, what what I do for a bidet right now? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's isn't that weird? Like all these fears and and stuff, it all kind of focused in on the toilet paper. I feel like. Like why? I I don't I don't get it. I I called out a, a guy at the grocery store actually that had a cart loaded with like they just stocked it and he was just filled his cart i'm like buddy come on like yeah. if, if in a month's time i gotta start using my t-shirts in there i'm not gonna i'm gonna think of you dude <laughs> not happy about this but but I, I think people can say the same thing about me i just mentioned that I, I had to ration out or portion out 50 pounds of bread flour like who orders 50 pounds of bread flour to their <laughs> home right so i guess my, my vices are elsewhere but in my defense just so that all, all the all the listeners can know I paid 20 bucks for it. So it's a deal I couldn't pass up. It's not because I Got needed it. 20 pounds or 50 pounds. It's because it was 20 bucks. So I have neighbors. It, I'll, I'll, I'll disseminate. It, yeah. And you know what to do with the bread flour. Like, I, I yeah. don't know if I had that much bread flour, it would literally sit there. You're actually going to put it to good use. So I was just texting some, texting some chef friends today. And it looks like I'm like hoarding keys of Coke in my different pantries. Cause they're like different bags of flour. But your na your neighbors are going to call the DEA on you and have people <laughs> knocking. Yeah. Uh, st staying with, with cooking, I feel like uh, there's a lot of similarities between a good cook or a chef and, and good golfers. 
And I wanted to see if you, if you've felt that in the past, I know it might be a stretch. Obviously this is a golf podcast. I'll try to bridge those, those gaps when I can, but uh, what, what do you think? Is there some similarities in the skill sets that are required to be, you know, good golfer as well as good in the kitchen? Um, it, it depends which golfer you're talking about. Um, I, I actually golf with a lot of chefs because that's obviously in my line of work. Um, and they are really talented golfers. I think it's because their, um, their attention to detail, the, this, the strive for perfection. I, I think those are two key facets that sort of make a good golfer and, and a good cook. Yeah, I, I, I find myself the, you know, kind of what I was talking about with the planning and, you know, the immense preparation. Golf, a lot of golf is about preparation months in advance, you know, and doing uh, the little things in your warm-ups, in your, in your workouts. So that meticulous uh, piece you talk about, I think, is certainly applicable to the golf course. And then when you step up on the first tee or you step in the kitchen, like you got your recipe out, Everything is, you know, lined up in the, the order of operations, but shit happens. And I feel like you got to kind of rely on instincts and, and a bit of more reaction. It's like, oh, there's too much of this, so I'm going to offset it with that. Does, does that make sense? No, I, I think it does. But I, I also think that, you know, every round of golf is different. For me, for me at least. I can't, I can't approach each round the same way because, you know, it's sort of playing your swing that day. And if, if I'm not feeling it, I, yes, I've got to be resourceful, but I also have to just suck it up and deal with the fact that I'm not going to shoot as well as I want to shoot. So yeah. I, I think I think it's being, and I think a lot of chefs aren't patient either, and they do have tempers. And this is all generalization, so don't 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 <laughs> at me. But um, I, I think it just really depends on the round. But I, I do I do think that organization does play a key role. Yeah, yeah. Um... You talk about your friends in, in the industry. I think I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask, you know, how, how are they doing right now? Obviously, the restaurant in, uh, business is taking a huge, massive, massive hit. Um, are, there, uh, are there resources out there or things that are, are, are helping your buddies out? You know, um, there have been a lot of um, independent GoFundMes to help uh, with the unemployment uh, of their front and back of house. Um, I know in Chicago, um, a bunch of chefs, well, very well-known chefs are creating this collective, um, which is the, the CHC. I can't remember what it stands for, but they're providing resources to their furloughed and un unemployed employees to figure out how to apply for unemployment, how, how to get funding or grants or all these other resources, not only during this COVID crisis, but down the line as well. So um, again, this food industry, it's all about hospitality and making sure that your people are taken care of. And from what I've heard and what I've seen with my friends and colleagues who are in this industry. Um, every, everyone's been obviously hurting, but very, very gracious and responsible and trying to make sure that everyone is okay. And at, at this point, all we can really do is just hope for the best and make sure that everyone has what they need. You know, some, some chefs or some workers, whether they be documented or not, might not have all the resources they need, may not be eligible for unemployment. So, you know, finding... Um, f finding the resources so everyone um, is okay through this. Yeah, yeah. Focusing on on the person before the the business, I guess. Yeah. Again, I, I'm not a restaurant operator. I, I don't own restaurants, but you know, it's gonna. I think it's gonna be. Um, it's gonna be a while until we get back to that uh, that baseline of you know eating out regularly and, and, and enjoying. It's 
and not to be a pessimist. I want to try and be as positive as possible, but I, I don't. I don't. I foresee this lasting a little a little bit longer. And also yeah. the fact that some of these restaurants are going to ultimately have to close down. There's like no way around it. So um, I just hope that everyone gets on gets back on their feet sooner than later. But it's you know, it's who knows. I, I've been thinking the same thing, right? How, how many restauranteurs are, are hanging on, you know, by a thread before all this? And, you know, even if they, if they can make it through this wave and we're somewhat back to normal or whatever this new, you know, way of, of dining out or, or continuing to do, you know, carry out and delivery, whatever that is, it's still going to be a struggle, right? I mean, it's, it's no, no guarantee that things will just be turned back to normal. So I, yeah. I ask because I, mean, I, I know I mean, you're close to a lot of them. Yeah, I mean, their margins are so low. and They have, they have rent to pay and all these things. Like, you know, everyone's struggling, not just the restaurateurs, obviously, not just the restaurants, but it's, it's, it's near and dear to me because, again, they're my friends. They're also my clients, too, you know. Um, so, again, all we yeah. can do is hope for the best. And I so support your local restaurant, you know. Eat out. Or like order in if you can, or support those GoFundMe pages. There's so many ways to, to help out. Yeah, I, uh, we'll, we got it. We'll encourage everybody to get out there and, and you know support those favorite local businesses that that need us. I got another idea. Uh, you've been to many country clubs. You travel all the time. You've played a lot of different golf, golf courses. Country club food stinks. Let's be let's <laughs> be real. Country club food stinks, and and everywhere there's a country club. There is usually within a couple, a mile or two, really good restaurants. And so I, I and, and I, I love very, what you're talking about, the hospitality industry, that's golf. You know, I think golf has been almost tried to, to stay away from, from that. I think golf is really realizing that it is a hospitality business. It is about making customers happy, you know, a place that you want to hang out. And, uh, and so I, I'm doing what I can to support the clubs that we've worked with and try and there's a couple great groups that are raising money for those hospitality workers. Um, so I don't want anyone to lose jobs in those kitchens, Sure, but it, it's a big overhead for a club and the product isn't very good. So I think we should get all your chef buddies to, to team up and let's get some delivery options to these clubs and, and drop off some real cooking, some real good meals. What do you think? To, to show them how, how it's supposed to be done. You mean? Well, no, just like actually feed the golfers. So you get down oh. on the 16th hole, you put in your order, you know, and then you show oh, up in the clubhouse and it comes, it comes out in a presentation. What do you, what do you think? Can that work? I, I, I think so. Or get these chefs to consult on some, some, on some of these clubs. You know, my, my, my good boy, David Posey, who's a member of New Club as well, owns Elska, member of Beverly. He, he, he should be consulting. He should help out. He, he, he knows really how to should. Throw, he knows how to throw down. <laughs> We'll get David on next. He needs to, to <laughs> champion this idea for me. Um, I, I always have the ideas. I, I've only I've taken one idea and tried to run with it uh, in in real life, and that's new club. So I'll, I'll leave the other ones to the pros. Um, but you're one for one right now, as far as I'm aware. New clubs have been great. So <laughs> thanks, brother. Yeah. Uh, let's talk. Let's talk golf. Let's dive in. How are you? How are you coping without golf right now? Uh, I know you love to play. Um, you haven't been a member for too long, but when you, you joined us in the fall of last year, and I think you got in more winter rounds than many people got in uh, you know, their summer yeah. rounds. H how are you dealing yeah. with this hiatus? 
um, it's been, um, you know, I, I don't, I hate to sound selfish, but it's been painful. You know, obviously there's more things to worry about than being able to play golf, but I, I miss it. And I think what didn't help with all this was in the off season, because a new club, I joined smart golf, which scratched that itch for the, the off season. It was like, it, it still is the greatest thing in my opinion, just for like the off season, other than traveling to golf. Um, but then when all the gyms closed, I was like, I couldn't even swing into a track man screen. So it's like, it was, it was some withdrawal. Let me tell you. Um, I have a putting green. And I have a chipping net. Um, I, I do have a, a full net that I can set up outside, but it's, it's, uh, it's snowing today. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I, I just, and again, I don't have all that much time either, you know? Um, so I, I don't have, I don't even have time to work out. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I, I miss it. I miss it. And, you know, not to brag, but I was supposed to be at, uh, I was supposed to be at Pebble Beach this week. <laughs> uh. Yeah. So, yeah, I, w- I would have been playing Pasta Tempo right now, but that's, that's obviously not going to happen. Um, but yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I do travel, or I did travel a lot for golf because I just love playing different courses. Um, but, you know, I, again, got to change the, the priorities have changed. And, and until we can sort of see the light, light at the end of the tunnel, I'm just going to have to sort of wait it out. Yeah. I'm, I'm hoping that be, the club event at Aaron Hills is going to happen in a, in a month. In a month. I know, I know. We're, you know, we're, we're listening to all guidance and, and taking that stuff very seriously. Uh, it'll be, it'll be interesting. You know, I, I, I think we've already had to reschedule uh, a lot of events. You know, moving our Scotland trip to next year. Yeah. Um, we've had to cancel a, a few of them in, in April, May at least. But the large group setting might be tough. I, I don't know. You know, we're going to wait and see what all the specialists say and they advise on gatherings. You know, our, our tournaments are so much fun. It's the only time that we really have as a golf side to, to see everybody at once and, yeah. and really, you know, celebrate, have a party. Um, but if that's got to go, we'll, we'll do our part. And I think the beauty of golf, though, is, and I've, I've been talking to people and Indiana's still playing and Wisconsin's opening up this weekend. You know, the important um, piece is doing it the right way and, and it can be done in a very very safe way so the good news is you know for us all, all these tea times we're still going to get out be able to get out there with three people maybe not 90 but with yeah. three people yeah. and, and and you know scratch around scratch the itch yeah um whatever 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 can be done so will obviously be, hopefully be done um but yeah def- definitely Definitely itchy right now. <laughs> Definitely. <itchy. laughs> Let's go to your, your time at Smart Golf because I get the updates. We share a swing coach with Max. Okay. Oh, my God. And, yeah. And uh, he is. I, wh- why is he a great coach for you? Um, I, 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 one, it's a personability. And two, it's this, the, the customization. I think, well, he, he really knows how to break down my swing, I, I, I think. Um, and he's e- easy to communicate with. He, he gets it. And like, even after a half hour of a session, I can see the changes on the screen. Whether I apply that to the course is different, but he definitely knows, I think, how to cure whatever's ailing me. You know, obviously I don't have a, an Adam Scott swing yet, but <laughs> we'll get to there eventually. You got it. You got a pretty good move, huge. Pretty good. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and you were. Uh, I mean, would, what, would you agree though? Like, like you you work with Max, and like, yeah, what do you no, think makes him a great coach? 
I think it's uh, he he kind of leads me to the water a lot. I think where he knows that I got I got scar tissue, huge, and a lot of old you know badness. Whether it was old coaches' swing thoughts or just confidence that you know creeps in the wrong direction, and and so he kind of gets me to my own realization. And then with, with a series of questions, I think his, I think he makes, he's a great coach because he asks great questions and he's always asking, you know, uh, what, what do you think produces that poll? You know, and he, he knows most of the time that I'm, I'm aware enough of my own game now that I can give him the right answer. But then he kind of leads me to the solution uh, mm-hmm. without just telling me what the solution is. And maybe that's just, you know, my stubborn stubbornness at play, but uh, yeah, I, th- I think that's why he's great. And he's just, he's got a good demeanor. He's, he's nice to be around. I mean, he works with so many of our members um, and all the smart golf staff, all are, are great dudes. Like they really care about people getting better, which I yeah, think is probably. the number one, number one thing you need in a coach is that they just get, have to give a shit. Yeah. You give a shit. Exactly. That's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so let's go back on your golf. Um, where, when did you first get the golf bug? Uh, how'd you learn the game? Um, that's, that's a tough question. I picked up a, a set of clubs back in high school. I had a girlfriend who liked to golf, I believe, or so, someone related to my girlfriend. Um, but you know, so I just golf, but I never was really taught. It was in college where I had a roommate who was a pretty good golfer. He's, he was from Ontario, Canada. And, uh, we actually, I just, off, out of a whim, just joined a club. I'm like, all right, they have a junior a junior rate. Let me just join the club for two seasons and started playing um, in college more seriously. But then I realized that my temper was a big issue. I'm typically a cool guy, but with golf, when I first started, because I think as a mentality of I wanted to be like Tiger Woods, so I wanted to play like Tiger Woods, but I'm not going to shoot, you know, shoot like he is, but I had that expectation. So there's a time in my life where I was just a little too upset, so I gave it up for like years. I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm done. I started fly fishing instead because it made me happy. And then um, maybe four or five years ago, I started. I, m- I met up with uh, some chefs here, like David Posey, for instance, Sue Ahn, um, who used to. He's a chef at Band of Bohemia, by the way, in Ravenswood, Chicago. He used to play on the um, Latin American tour, so he's an ultra competitive golf guy. But he's wow. a chef now. But he, he's always he's fun to play with. So I just started playing with these guys, and then I realized, all right, let's let's pick up this bug. Let's pick it up again. And, you know, I, I joined Golf Tech for a season, um, played as much as I could. Then, then I joined Smart Golf, I joined New Club, joined Smart Golf, just played as much as I could. I mean, last year I clocked in over 100 rounds just, just trying to get better. That's awesome. So, what, was your, what was your favorite round of 2019? Um, my Aaron Hills, just because I've never played it before. And that my first time at Aaron Hills, even though I played like ass, it was one of those experiences where it's like, this is what a course ought to be because every shot was just made me think. I, I loved it. I loved it about it. Interesting. Yeah. Aaron Hills. Yeah, it is a, it's a brute. It's a big, big ballpark. Yeah. And I, and again, I, I'm, I think I'm very, not unique, but I, I suffer from golf amnesia. So I'm not that golfer who knows every shot that I shot two years ago or who, who knows what, you know, Beverly number four looks like i i just i don't for me every swing is a new swing so i just yeah. just try and grind dude that's the secret 
that's that's the that's what makes a great golfer is you got to have that short-term memory because you can't dwell on the bad shots that's i'd give anything to have that ability yeah and and, and now i don't get angry i'll just say fuck it next <laughs> next 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 stroke you know no but uh yeah and, and so yeah, that's that's key, man. I think it comes with age too, doesn't it? Like you just they call realize. Me, you call me older. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> wise. I'm calling you wise, huge. Call you what? Um, and you, you. Uh, I think I was talking to somebody that said you, you also box. Is that right? Um, I yes, uh, mixed martial arts. Um, Jeet Kune Do was what I trained early on. Um, I'm not sure. Jikindo, it's Bruce Lee's martial arts style, so it's an amalgamation of various different styles. Did that for many years. Um, do Filipino martial arts, so Kali, like stick and knife fighting. Um, I, I have boxed as well. Um, grappled. Yeah. I, I, you know, not, not anymore, but yeah, I think I can hold my own. You're, I, I want to see your... Do you manage your own calendar? Like between all, all the golf rounds... All the cooking, all the your your day job, doing photography, <laughs> like you just you just have this time or you just have this energy to get all this stuff in. Well, I think what's great about my 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 job or my vocation. So I'm a photographer. The fact that I can control my schedule, you know, I don't have to book something at nine in the morning. I can go play around and then go into the studio in the afternoon, or um, if. I can go to Smart Golf in the morning for like four hours if I really wanted to. And right before COVID, I was at Smart Golf probably four hours a day, five days a week in the mornings. I'd go in like from seven until 11 or 12. Then I'd go to the studio, which is in the West Loop, get some work done, get some shoots done, and then go home. Um, so right. I, I like managing my schedule because I'm, I'm able to figure out what I need to get done or what I want to get done. Yeah. That's yeah. that's pretty pretty sweet spot right there. Let's go. Let's go into your uh, food photography because I got it. We got to get to to what you do for a living. I mean, um, your premier food photographer, one of the best in the country, from everything I've I've read about you. Um, I'm, I'm just I'm, an Asian tourist that presses the camera button. That's all I do. <laughs> I, I can say that joke right because I am Asian. For those who don't, I mean, I know this. that's no. But, I think uh, that's how that's how it works. <laughs> Except, unless you're Dave Chappelle. Um, Dave Chappelle is the only one that can cross over to different stuff. Yeah, that's that's true. Um, yeah, no, I, yeah, I'm a food photographer. Um, just um, I'm not classically trained, to be honest with you. Um, I've been doing this for many years, but it was just um, combining my love of food with my love of photography and being able to say, hey, hey, let's just create a career out of it. And this was back in 2010 in Chicago, where I'm like, all right let's leave my day job and do this full time. And, you know, the rest is history. And I, you know, and now I don't feel like I'm working. Um, cause, cause well, pre COVID, obviously like my photography gig, I just love what I do. I love the people I work with. I love the people I, I work for the products I shoot. It's just it's, it's the places I get to travel to. Everything's been amazing. Which, which one of those happened first? Was it your love of food or your love of photography? Um, love of love of food. I've 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 loved food as long as I can remember. Um, been in the kitchen with my mother, worked some restaurants growing up, um, and then yeah, I got the camera bug just like I got the golf bug back in the day, and um, started shooting. I started shooting like everything from like stuff for newspapers to um, 
I learned really the tradecraft working for the NHL, shooting hockey. And then I just translated that to my other love, which is food. There's a, there's always a moment um, that I like to ask entrepreneurs about and, and people that are just passionate about everything, especially folks that made their passion their life. Um, what was your day job when you decided, no, this is what I'm going to do? And, and was there a moment, was it a gradual buildup or did you just drop whatever you were doing and say, I'm, I'm going all in on, on this? That's a very convoluted question because so my day job prior to what I'm doing now, um, I was a researcher at Northwestern University. So I have a PhD in pharmacology and therapeutics. So I'm a scientist by trade. So I got my bachelor's, got my PhD and yeah. And yeah, I was a nerd. You know, I was in the lab doing research. Um, we moved to Chicago back in 2008 to work at Northwestern in OBGYN. And, you know, I liked it, but there was, I, I realized I wasn't the best for it. Like, I wasn't a very talented scientist, to say the least. Um, and, I, you know, I still had photography and I still liked cooking. And uh, long story short, uh, one client um, said, hey, we want to hire you full time to shoot this traveling cooking tour called Kashan 555. So I travel around the country and shoot a bunch of different chefs. And I gave, whatever, it must have been three, four weeks notice. and said, all right, I'm done with science. Um, luckily, my wife was supportive. Uh, and, you know, it was a risk. It was a gamble. But again, that was 10, 11 years ago. And this is where I am now. So, wow. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's, that's most people probably thinking that's a big jump, but in your mind, it was probably like, this is all I can see myself doing. Cause you like it. You enjoyed it so much. Yeah. I was living the American dream as they say. That's yeah. great, man. And you, that's, that's right. You're, you're originally from Montreal, right? Yeah. Born and raised in Montreal. I'm proud Canadian, but I'm also American now, which is yeah, 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 USA, I guess. Yeah. No. <laughs> My my question: Can I? Uh, can you help me get a Canadian fake ID? Can can I go get some of that health insurance now? Is that can we just go over? I heard they already got their stimulus checks too. That would help. Yeah, everyone's so polite there and and considerate. I don't know. Hopefully, I'm not knocking half of your uh, your uh, member membership group, but you know, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty lefty myself. But yeah, no, the, I'm, I'm Canadian, Canadian American. Um, and yeah, uh, you know, when this whole COVID thing started, I was thinking to myself, do I defect, defect back to Canada? Do it like, I just, I, you know, the whole response to this whole COVID thing here was very slow or lack lackluster. So I, I was actually pretty cynical about it, but now, now I'm okay. Let's just, you know, stay, stay on the up and up, stay positive. Yeah. I'll have faith in, in humans, no matter what country they're coming from to do the right thing. So Exactly. Exactly. I think that's what we're seeing play out. But I am, um, but I am again, proud Canadian. I will always be a proud Canadian. Uh, I got so many Canadian questions. I don't know to go down that hole or not. You, you joined a private club when you were young, right? I did. How old were you? Um, probably tw 20, 21. Yeah, so uh, yeah it was un undergrad. Yeah, it was over 20, 21, thereabouts. So we, we talk a lot on this podcast about the structure of different private clubs and you know, our inspiration back to uh, the United Kingdom and Ireland. Uh, what, what is the most typical structure of a Canadian private golf club? Like, I actually don't know that answer. Uh, I think it's 
a lot it's a lot similar to, to here i mean they're the, the, the ultra exclusive ones like you'll have in the states uh the one i had been a member of was sort of like the structure of uh, i would say maybe like a calumet in in a way where, where you're as a junior you're only paying nowhere on nowhere over let's say five thousand a year uh my initiation at, at that point because it was i think they were trying to grow their membership or a lot of them died off so the initiation was um, phased out for for my when I when I joined. Um, so I was paying like probably like three four thousand a year. I got free golf. I, you know, there's obviously a, a food and bev minimum, but unlike most clubs here, the food at this club was amazing, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I miss it dearly. Um, but yeah, I think it's 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 a lot like any any club here or any of the smaller clubs here. Yeah. I, I just—it's something that stuck with me. I was curious uh, what yeah. that was, and and again, you know, I, I was part of this this big push of getting some new blood in. So when when I joined, I probably joined with probably um, thirty or forty other thirty unders or under thirties. So they were just trying to bring bring some new life into this club. Do you uh, follow the you know Canadian uh, PJ Tour players? Is your favorite golfer a Canadian? Uh, no. No, no, he isn't. Um, yeah. I, 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 don't you guys I, I don't stick together? Follow. What's that? You guys don't stick together? You don't you like pull for Graham Dillette when he's in contention? Well, I, 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 I will, but I mean, I, I think I'm more of that, you know, the Mike Weir dynasty back in the day, you know, and there's so many great players from all over the world now that it's hard to like pick, pick a favorite, really. And like obviously being Asian, you know, some great players that are Asian who I'm just, I just don't want them to, to succeed, you know? Yeah. They got, they're, they're, that's the new wave too, of like the younger guys coming up. I mean, uh, there's so many good guys to root for. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I got distracted from the photography, but I do want to, I want to <laughs> get back fun. to it. Uh, so here in Chicago, is there a particular chef that you get super pumped to, uh, to work for? Um, a lot I, I think i think i this this sounds very diplomatic but having done this for as many years as i have now i i, I really get to distill and pick and choose who i want to work for or work with and so all the clients that i work for are amazing clients they, they really are so um and if there's someone who who i know is going to be a d-bag or who i know who i know is disrespectful i i can luckily say no, I, 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 I'll pass. I'll pass on the project. But um, yeah, a lot, a lot of the chefs here that I work for are amazing. I mean, I, I can name drop a couple if you like, but again, give us, every, give everyone's us, yeah. Great. Give us one or two. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, I've worked with um, Chef Stephanie Izard for many years, ever since she's opened Girl and the Goat. You know, Top Chef, Iron Chef, many, many. You know, I've shot a cookbook. Obviously, um, David Posey. Great golfer, great friend, and amazing chef at Elska. Um, so yeah, so th those are those are two that. I, I, but again, there's I, I work with a lot of chefs, and they're all, all my client, all my client roster is just amazing. Um, what about particular type of food or a dish? Is there like when that's your subject? Is there a food that you kind of really get revved up to to shoot? Oh, to totally. I think if I'm shooting food that I want to eat. I, I get equally excited because I, mean, I think part of my job is to make good or mediocre food look better than it actually is. Sadly, that's the case. 
But when I'm working with chefs who make amazing food and I know I want to eat it, it's, it's easy for me to get excited and get just a certain sense of joy in creating the images that I know that they're going to be happy with. Um, case in point, Japanese food. I will shoot sushi all day. I will shoot even chefs making sushi, making, you know, French food. Just not only the food itself, but telling the story behind the kitchen so that the consumer can see how that food got to your plate. That's equally important for me as it, as it is to make um, something gruel-worthy or, or food porn. Yeah. That's, you, you raised a thought I didn't even think of. Um, everything you shoot, are you, are you allowed to eat too? Is that, is that part of the arrangement? Like, uh, no, I mean, when, when I first started, you know, it was sort of run-and-gun, guerrilla style. You'd go, you'd shoot it. Yes, you could eat it. But I typically, I typically don't. And not, it's not because they're using, like, fake, like, hairspray and all these different gels and stuff. It's just more, I, I want to enjoy the food like a diner would enjoy. I want to go and dine there and not eat a cold dish that I just shot for five, ten minutes. So out of respect of, uh, for the chef of the restaurant, you know, I, I try not to indulge. But sometimes, you know, if someone's going to make, you know, whatever, like a, a lobster lasagna, and you know it's going to be good. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll take a taste. <laughs> sure, you know, <laughs> I, I'm I'm 250 pounds for a reason. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, but yeah, no, I I try not to indulge. And when I'm shooting in studio, that's when all the magic and the trickery comes in, where we do use different tricks of the trade, like um, not hairspray, but sometimes ice cream will be made out of play-doh or, or some other thing. So you know, a lot of the stuff that I shoot in studio. Let me backtrack. Not a lot, but some of the stuff that we shoot in studio isn't edible because it isn't actually what it's, it's meant to be. But in restaurants, yeah. you know, the food's cold. You don't really want to enjoy congealed chicken soup or something. Yeah. Well, I, I had, you know, last night just getting ready for our chat today, uh, I did a little deep dive on your uh, professional Instagram, the one for your your uh, your shop that you own, obviously. And mm -hmm. um I, I, dude, I mean, it's the artistry of it. I just have a new appreciation for it. It's one of those things that, you know, in my everyday life, obviously I'm picking restaurants around town and, and places that I want to eat or dishes I want to eat even, and, and I'm seeing them online, but it doesn't, doesn't cross my mind, obviously, to think about what went into producing that image. And, uh, you know, your, your, uh, what's your professional handle name again? Um, at Galdo Photo. Galdo Photo. Yeah. And it's just beautiful, man. It's art. It's artistry, and and uh, you're you. an artist. I just uh, what what are like what what goes into making making that happen? The, a great food photo. Um, there are many ways to skin a cat, and it really depends on what the scenario is. You know, um, if I'm in if I'm going to a restaurant and shooting a dish for a chef, there's not much that I can do to say how to plate the dish because you want to represent what the chef's going to sell and what they've created in their head. So it's just about knowing the product and knowing what looks good. Knowing, you know, you, you would never shoot a hamburger from above because you'd miss all the layers. So it's just knowing the right angles and knowing what story to tell. Uh, when we're shooting in studio, we have a little bit more control. We work with a team. So it's me leaning on my culinary stylist, prop stylist, assistants to sort of creatively come together and create the best image that we can for these brands that we work for. So, um, yeah, again, many ways to skinny cat. But it's, you know, and it's just about experience. And, you know, the more you shoot, the more you know. And I think Dumb. it's also the fact that I, sorry to interrupt you, but it's also the fact that having 
worked in the kitchen and know, know, having known the industry, being able to communicate with the clients and with the chefs and also understanding how asparagus is supposed to be peeled versus what, it, what the, you know, how it's not supposed to be done. That, I think, translates to my work because we try and keep things as, as, as authentic as possible. Yeah. I mean, this is my ignorance will show. I don't mind uh, making fun of myself here. I didn't even know asparagus was supposed to be peeled at all. Uh, it doesn't have to be, but, you know, it's <laughs> a, a fancy way to, pr to present it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so for, for those of us that are, are cooking at home, which a lot of us are right now, myself included, I've been cooking every night. I, I'm big on a Michael Simon kick right now. Uh, okay. We're both Northeast Ohio guys, so I just kind of feel like sticking with them. But um, he, uh, where was I going with that? Oh, my food is getting better. I, I, like I'm reading, I'm trying to, to really, I'm shopping better. My food's getting better. My pictures still suck, right? And I, I, I post them on Instagram. So two, two questions for you about those of us that are doing the at-home Instagram posting of our, of our food. How, how do we not come off as douchebags, one, and, and like actually make it cool? And like inclusive, and and then two, how do you make it look good? Oh, those are like very. I mean, the douchebag question is easy. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there's there's no shame in taking pictures of your food. I'm, I'm you know, I I, I I don't think there's any shame. Um, maybe some people give me a hard time though. Some people I mean, give me a hard time. Maybe well, maybe because they know I, me too well. Or is it because you're eating foie gras every night and you're or lobster and you're just flaunting the fact that during COVID nineteen you're like thrown down with like premium ingredients? That that can be a little Definitely douchey. Not. <laughs> definitely not. Last night was buttered brown chicken, so definitely okay. not. Um, but um, in, in terms of taking good pictures, I mean, it, it, it there's so many again, there's so many ways to answer that question because every dish. Is different like every face is different um, and if you look at my personal account on Instagram like I don't use my professional camera for that it's all iPhone and I, I don't need it I think I, I, I've gotten over the fact that it doesn't always have to look as sexy as it can be like I know the potential of what a dish can look like you know if I'm making a taco I know how to build it to make it look the best that it can be but for Instagram all you my my intent isn't to make it look super sexy for my personal account. It's to be like, hey, this is what I'm eating, and this is how you can make it. Click picture. That's it. So yeah, I don't think you, have to, you don't have to overthink it. If anything, just find some good light, find a nice surface, make it look cleaner, get close up, try and avoid like the empty beer cans in the corner of the screen that you, you don't know are there. Um, but it's really about with the iPhone. It's about composition. Just being aware of what, what's in frame, you know? And never use flash, right? Oh, God. Yeah, never, never use flash. Never. <laughs> I mean, there, 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 you know, there's always that exception, but yeah, ne never use flash, especially if you're in a restaurant. Not that you have to worry about that now, but just never use flash in a restaurant. That's the only reason I know. I remember uh, a waiter telling a friend of mine at a table, they're like, you know, we're, we're okay with you taking pictures of your food, just please turn the flash off so it doesn't, it doesn't look terrible. Yeah. And it's, it's we're, actually we're, not we're well even about looking. Yeah, but it's also like, yeah, it's going to make the picture look terrible if you use your iPhone flash. But also as a consumer in a restaurant, you don't want to disturb everyone else. That's when you get the douchebaggery. That's when you get, you know, that, that's yeah, when it becomes I, a little tough. Dude, I, I tend to you're going to a restaurant to eat, not to 
showcase what you're eating to all your friends. So enjoy your meal, you know? Yeah, you know, I, I think like I get to surge when I get done cooking, which takes me a little bit longer than most, I think. But I, I, I'm, I am proud. I have this sense of like pride around what I just created. And it's uh, now that it's a bit healthier and it's providing for the family. I feel like there's nothing wrong with sharing that. Do you know, like, that's what I'm sharing when I put it out there. So I don't want it to be like, oh, the fancy faux gras type stuff. It's just like, yeah. no, I, I just, you know, took an hour of my day to, to make this kick-ass meal for my family. And I just, I just want to share it. I, I feel proud of that. Yeah. I mean, the sense of pride is important. I mean, I, I think that that's why a lot of chefs do what they do is because they want to cook for others. They, that's that. Again, getting back to the sense of hospitality. And even if it's just me on Instagram posting what I'm cooking for my kids, I'm proud. I'm proud to to do that, and and also the fact that I'm I'm able to now. I have more time to sort of play and be creative in the kitchen, and so I, I yeah I do want to sort of showcase that on on Instagram because I can't go to your house and knock on your door and say hey look what I made because COVID nineteen. <laughs> COVID nineteen hashtag yeah. COVID nineteen. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, I mean, ha- Half Life is, is is that is. Um, Christian Hafner, name? yeah, yeah, Hafner. Yeah. I mean, then just to see like his growth, because he's not that he's new to it, but like he he's jumped quite a bit of steps to get to where he is now, and I commend him for that. And you know, and just his artistry has been phenomenal, and the stories behind the stuff that he's told has been has been great. Um, he, I, he's I, one of my all time favorite followers, uh, both for his beautiful artwork and photography, but he's a good writer too. Yeah, his, oh, his messages yeah. have meaning to everything. Yeah, and then there's—I mean, I, I think on your last, on one of the last casts you did, there, you're talking about uh, PJ Koenig, 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 or you know, I follow him as well. Um, but again, having started the, um, my my photography career in sports, I have this sense of attachment to um, how people document the, the 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 story of golf, and you know, selfishly, I kind of want to be a part of that as well, and. You know, um, so slowly but surely, you know, so I went to Pinehurst last year, brought my professional camera while I was playing and trying to tr- translate my love for golf like I do my love for food. And uh, yeah, but so that many was, people that was going to be. Yeah, that was going to be my next question for you is if you've tried it yourself, you know, out on the golf course with the camera. Um, is there any way that you think shooting shooting golf would be? uh different or unique like i think half-life is a great example right hey for uh when he came out everyone's like wow this is this is this isn't your typical golf photography like this isn't what you see in golf digest it's it's much more uh, intimate i think in in the the user perspective you know in a lot of ways um is there any way that you've looked at shooting golf that might be different well, I mean, obviously, I love the, the the landscape and the scenery, and shooting, you know, being able to shoot tournaments, which I haven't, obviously, but you know, just being able to be on the course and, you know, um, walk walk a course with certain golfers that that would be phenomenal. But I like like food for me. Um, I think there's a sense of passion in telling the story behind the scenes. So it's not about you know who shot what uh, or who got a hole in one, but it's about telling the story of a certain player. So much like um, Obama had a staff photographer, Pete Souza, I would love to be a staff photographer for one of the, one of the players and just sort of follow them around and see what it's like to, you know, work out with Kepka or 
be a douchebag like Patrick Reed or you know, but, but you, you know what I mean. Just f- follow the, the untold story. You know. You so, you you got you just got yourself a job, buddy. We'll find a way to not pay with you, Reed though. Need, hopefully. Uh, that's actually the first assignment that you're going to be traveling with the Reed <laughs> team uh, all around the globe. No, but, it, but it really is like t- telling telling the, that story uh, of the things things that the the viewer or the fan would would never or wouldn't like wouldn't normally see. It's, it's, yeah, it's one thing to, to to photograph someone, you know, driving off a tee, but like sort of see what happens after, like when someone hands in their scorecard, or even before during warmups, or what they what they eat at home. You know, what do what do golfers eat? That's like how I, I. That's another way to link the two worlds, maybe, and that way I can write off my golf. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it takes. Uh, that's yeah. really cool. It, you know, it actually has me thinking a little bit about. Um, I've been stuck inside. I'm rewatching uh, Masters. It was you know, Masters week last week, so I was rewatching a lot of these old ones in the '70s. Huge. They had so many different camera angles that we don't see anymore. And one that I thought was really cool was kind of like a picture-in-picture. Picture. It was just a real bootleg version of the picture-in-picture. Picture. But one of the cameras tries to follow a ball, which in ninety, you know, the seventies wasn't very easy against a. Yeah. You know, you lose it after like twenty yards. So one camera does that. The other one just stayed with the player, and it stayed with him from all the way till he's picking up his tee, till he's walking back to his caddy. And I'm telling you, what you're talking about as a golfer, that's what I was more interested in: is the reaction to the result. How they how they interacted with their caddy, how they put their club away, how they you know walk to the bathroom to take a breather. Like <laughs> I, I was I was glued to it, and uh, I, I think it's a shame that doesn't happen anymore. You know, as as a huge golf fan um, who who watches it like religiously or who has, I, I'm always curious to know about that relationship between caddy and player. That's something I always want to hear. I always want to know what is going on between that that relationship and why can't they mic them up or, or, or something, you know, like that, that's what I find really compelling. Yeah. I, I would love for them to do more of that. Yeah. You know, a lot of the time that, that, that uh, you gotta get a good caddy. Like if you get a bones or um, you know, so many of the, the legendary ones, you're going to hear a lot. Uh, d- depends on the dynamic, but it'd be cool to see the different dynamics too, with each, each set of people. That'd be really neat. Yeah. I think we're coming up with our own pro- production company. Untold stories of PGA Tour golf. Oh, let's, let's make it. Let's make it happen. Uh, um, I think you know, we're coming up on time, or we're blowing through. Mark always gives me guidelines for our member series to keep them to thirty minutes. I, I haven't hit one yet, but uh, I, I I just wanted to ask you if you had any message to share with with members of New Club or anything you know going on right now that you want to want to let people know about. Oh, I mean, to, to the members of New Club, um, I just. I look forward to playing with you guys sooner than later, you guys and gals sooner than later. Um, hopefully we get through this safely and health and, you know, everyone stays healthy, but obviously, you know, th- things are going to change and things are going to have to get done to make sure that we can, we can play safely. So um, let's just hope that everyone does their part to make sure that we can play sooner than later. I like that. That's great. Huge. Well, thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it. Uh, keep taking care of your family and, and stay well, brother. I appreciate the opportunity today. Thanks again. Thanks.